You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. Reading today's scripture is Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start with verse 19, and we will go all the way to the end. Verse 19, Paul writes, And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Holy Spirit led Paul to write a letter to his friends, to his partners, and for five months, roughly, over 25 sermons, we have looked at this letter. And believe it or not, I still feel like I went much faster with broader strokes than I would have liked with this text. You may not like that, but... There is so much more we could have done. But this has been good for us. It has been very good for us. And it's been really good for me to preach through this letter at this season of my life. I did not expect this when I felt like the Lord was leading us to go through Philippians. Uh, Personally, here are some of the things that we have gone through. When we started this, my kids were enduring A very rough transition from a place they loved to a place that was hard and difficult for them. It was not what we expected when we moved, but they liked champs, and we did it together, and we made the transition to the area, and it has been good for us to go through, it's been good for me to go through this book, it's been good for us as a family to go through this letter while we were transitioning into this time, and and looking forward to what God has in store for a new church, a new people, and new friends, a new community. Personally, my family was coping with the reality of life and death as while we were going through this letter, we ushered my best friend, my father, to the arms of Jesus and still deal with the the not yet, but the hope of what is there. We look at this letter and we see all the rich promises and it's through going through a season like this, through a season like we're going through and I'm reading this letter and I'm just like, God, where would we be without this truth? It's good. So to go through this series for me at this time was really, really good therapy. I know that... Um, I dove into this letter more than anybody here, and that should be the way it is, right? Um, So if you ever want to know a book of the Bible more, study it with the intent to teach it to someone. 
and you're going to learn more about it. Uh, we launched during this season community groups, and our community groups have been talking through some important applications of this letter. Week after week after week, we go through a study where we unpack this sermon in community group. What does this mean for us? How do we apply it? I didn't understand that. Why did Jason say this? Why do you believe that? And we go to the Bible and we just talk through it. I bet most of our groups are ready to look at other places in the Bible. I don't blame you. I, I get that. And four weeks ago, we launched our youth community group and we had a few people, then we had 17, and then we had 20 plus, and we've been looking at this series called Identity, which we didn't necessarily mean to coincide with Philippians. It was what the, the youth sort of said. This is what we will look at first. And for four weeks or you know, so, we, we looked at what it means to have our identity in Christ and all that that means. It's been really good. So much has happened when we began this series. Much good has been happening. Uh, and I am sad and glad to be moving on to a different series. And we start that next week. I want to encourage you to invite and talk to everybody you know about about coming, this next series we're going to do called Thrive is not just for, you may be thinking when Daniel announced that, when I've announced it, you say, oh, well, we don't have a perfect family, so I'm not coming there. Well, it's for you, for you, because you're connected with somebody, either painfully connected or joyfully connected or somewhere in between, and God has purpose in it for your good, for your joy, whether you're single, widowed, you got a family of 15, wherever you are and all that, okay, it's going to be good for us. And we're going to see the connection of healthy family, thriving family with a healthy, thriving church. So invite people to come to that. But for now, we need to summarize this great letter to the Philippians and that's what we're going to do today we're going to if you missed everything you didn't come to anything else in the whole five months welcome glad you're here we're going to do an overview the cliff notes version of this letter today okay and then afterwards we are going to sing and I want you to sing like you believe what we just went over okay so let's pray Lord would you teach us now help us to understand gather grab hold of some hooks some important things from these four chapters of this amazing letter that you inspired Paul to write to his friends in Philippi. Teach us, save us, rescue us from earthly thinking, and cause us to lift our eyes up to you forever. In Jesus' name, amen. First of all, we need to understand when we look at these last few verses here, Paul mentions the word saint twice. So the first thing we're going to look at as an overview is that this is a letter to saints. It's a letter for the saints of God. In verse 21, we see Paul says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. And then in 22, he says, all the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's Household, so especially those who are in the Roman province, those who belong to Rome, those who are intimately involved with the, the leadership aspect of Rome, even the saints there, everyone. So saint, saints, and then we remember way back when we started in chapter 1, we're going to, by the way, you might want to pull out your copy of the Word of God either on your iPad or your phone or the hard copy 
uh, with you, in front of you. There's, there might be a Bible there. You can pull that out in Philippians because we're going to kind of be going through all this, right? Um, but back in chapter 1, he begins this letter by saying, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus. So, the letter, that he starts off saying, this is for the saints. It's to the saints. Just a note about the word saint. The word saint in the New Testament has been hijacked from the Roman Catholic Church and others. It's been sort of robbed of its biblical meaning and significance. The word saint does not mean some historical, religious superhero that was given a title because they had a really good life. Okay, That's not what it's referring to. It's not someone that is more valued, more honored, more treasured, or specially treated over other Christians. It's not someone, especially, that we pray to for help. Saint simply means one, anyone, Jew, Gentile, anyone who has come to saving faith. It literally refers to set apart one what it means it is paul's favorite word for the christian you will see him talk about the saints to the saints refer to his his friends his partners his churches as saints more than he does even the word christian this is how he addresses his churches his people in philippians his letter to the romans to the ephesians to the colossians and even to the Corinthians. So we know it's not some special super Christian because if you know anything about his letters to Corinth, he is getting on to the people in Corinth. But yet he still refers to them as saints. So it's not just some superhero Christian. It's those who are set apart for Christ, who have followed Jesus. We refer to saints here we see that he refers to him them here and he is affirming them he's reminding them of their identity you are set apart so if you're here this morning and you do not believe that you are set apart for christ if you are someone who does not and we're going to get to this a little later think about eternity long for eternity with Christ, act like you're going to eternity with Christ, aim for being with Jesus with your actions. If you are someone here that is not doing those things and you are not walking and following Jesus, there's a very good chance that you are not, as of now, a saint. You are not set apart. You are not a child of God. You are not a Christian, a follower. And so we have two descriptions. We have the saint that we just described, and we have the one who's not a saint. And so my question is, we start looking at this summary of this letter. Are you described by the former or the latter? My friend, if you, the former describes you, we're going we're gonna to get into this text. We're going to see what Paul says when he Closes out here, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be upon you who are the saints. We'll get to that in a minute. However, 
if you are described by the latter description, you are not a follower of Jesus, you, you are here, you're still kind of critical and questioning, there's never been a moment where you said, yes, I want to follow him, yes, I'm giving my life to him, yes, I want him in me and controlling me and directing my steps. I want to give you, as we start this time, a warning and an invitation. First, the warning. The warning is this, that non-saints will also experience eternity. Having not lived for Jesus on earth, because you do not want to live for Jesus on earth, you will get your wish. There will be a day where you will spend, begin spending eternity separated from all that Jesus is about. All the good, all the love, all the grace, all the mercy, all the riches of glory will be distant from you for all eternity. There's coming a day where Paul refers to in chapter 2, that is for everybody, saints and non-saints. And here's what he says in chapter 2, verse 9. There's coming a day that for this reason God highly exalted him and gave him, Jesus, the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven, every knee on earth, and every knee under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. How and when you will be confessing the truth of Jesus Christ can begin now and go positively and joyfully through eternity or it will be denied now and it will be picked up at the day of your death and it will go throughout eternity where you're saying horribly, eternally cringing, He was the Lord. He was the Lord. That's the warning. The invitation is this, Jesus loves you, loves you. You can come today, you can give your life today and say, yes, I believe everything that Paul wrote in the the letter to the Philippians. I believe what pastor's saying there, that Jesus is valuable, he is worth it, and yes, I want to follow him, I want him to change me. If that's you, today you can do that. You can say, I want to escape an eternity of cringing, painful absence of Jesus, and I want an eternity with Jesus. Today, at the end of our time, just come talk to one of the elders. We'd love to introduce you and how you can have a relationship with this Jesus that we're about to look at. And it can be yours today. No one in this room deserves it. God is giving it. God the Father who so loved you that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever, Jew, Gentile, believes in him can have eternal life. Non-saint, be warned. Non-saint, be invited in. So this letter is to the saints. It's for the saints. But the non-saints listen in and they get to hear something. And that's what I'm inviting everybody to. This letter, as we sum up, is also a letter about eternal glory. In verse 20, what we read today, 
Paul says, Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. And if that wasn't redundant enough, I'm saying amen to that. Now to our God, the Father, be glory forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And everybody, all the saints are saying amen forever and ever. This is an eternal word. What we see here is referred to as a doxology. Doxa means glory. Logos is word. So this is basically a word of glory. And the word of glory is connected to God the Father of glory. This letter is a reminder that followers of Christ should and must live with an eternal perspective. So as we get into this, I want to again remind you of a resource. If you do not own this book, um, I want to encourage you to go buy it. If you need help buying it, we'll buy it for you. It's a book with a, a very huge name. It's called Heaven. Okay. Can you remember that? Heaven. Okay, you're awake? Okay, you can write it down. If you're like me, you're even going to walk out and go, now what was that book that he wrote? It's Heaven, okay? It's by a guy named Randy Alcorn, one of my favorite authors. And, um, it, and, and what, what Alcorn does is take the Bible and all the places in Scripture that refer to our home in heaven, he wrote a little book about it, okay? It's immense, it's good, it covers everything, Everything about heaven that's in the Bible, animals, it's in the book. What are we going to do in heaven? It's in the book. I mean, and it's all scripture. It's all biblical. So that book helped me out of a season of depression in my own life because it got me to cast my eyes off the present and got it looking on the future. So it's a good book. When we come to this letter in Philippians, we see that Paul is calling the saints to have an eternal perspective. What do we mean by that? First of all, he points his partners to have hope with eternity in view. Look with me in chapter 1. In chapter 1, this may be one of the verses that when we read this in the first few weeks of Philippians that you never got over, that encouraged you day after day after day. In chapter 1, verse 6, listen to the hope we have in Christ. I am sure of this, saints. So you're already believing in Christ. There was a day where you believed in Christ. There was a day you began to follow Christ. So, verse 6, I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That translates meaning, if we look at the day of Christ Jesus at the very end, is forever and ever and ever. Okay, so there's coming a day where we will find the things that we don't like about ourselves erased. There's coming a day when what he started in us will be completed. That's hope with eternity in view. He is changing us. He will complete what he started with you. You say, Jason, you don't know what I've gone through. I remember that magical, that wonderful, that, that exhilarating day. I gave my life to Christ. It was a camp or it was a church. Or, and I remember, and so much has happened between now and then. I have done so much to wreck my faith between now and then, Jason. You don't even know. Well, good news for you. Because you didn't start that work. 
He did. And he doesn't start something, he doesn't finish. So he who began a good work in you, there is hope for you. With eternity in view, he will finish what he started. So, saint, hope with eternity in view. No matter the valley that you might find yourself in now, he's going to lift you up. Hope with eternity in view. Secondly, think with eternity in view. If this letter is about anything, it's about hope and our thinking about eternity. We're going to look at several texts here. In chapter 2, we see verse 1 and 2. If then there is any encouragement in Christ. So, think about what we just said. We can also say, if then there is any hope in Christ. If, there, if you're encouraged at all about what he started and what he's promised to do. Okay, that's where we are. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. And we see in verse 5, he then says, adopt the same attitude. Attitude begins here, right? Our minds. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Paul's calling the saints not just to hope with eternity in view, but start thinking about eternity. Think about what is promised. Think about what's coming. There's more. Chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. Paul says, as I pursue as my goal the prize that is promised by God's Heavenly call in Christ Jesus. What is the prize? Well, the prize is Jesus. And the prize is the hope of 1, verse 6. What we said. That he will complete the work in Paul. So that's a prize. There's a day coming. So as I pursue that goal, prize promised by God's heavenly call, eternity, therefore let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this to also to you. Awaken your mind from the mundane life here, as topsy-turvy as it can be, and begin to think of eternity that is ours. It goes on. We see in verse 8 the famous passage about our thought life. Chapter 4, verse 8, if you're battling any kind of addiction, any frustration, any loss of life, any, anything that has been taken from you, stolen from you, whatever, if you're, if you're tempted to, to doubt and, and, and question and pout and, and gripe, here's a verse for us, and I do mean us. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any moral excellence and if, if there is anything praiseworthy, do we find that here on earth? Dwell on these things. Your translation may say, think on these things. So Paul writes this letter pointing them to hope with eternity in view. And he's calling them in every chapter, one, two, three, and four, think of eternity. Lift your eyes up and think about what is ours. And then we see in almost every chapter, 
the calling not only to hope with eternity in view, to think of eternity in view with eternity in view, but to act with eternity in view. Back to chapter 2. We're going to do this some more. Right after he says in verse 2, to think this same way, he says in verse 3, he starts talking about doing. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for their own interests, but for the interest of others. It's really easy to see someone who's on fire for Christ and shining brightly in their community because they care more for others than themselves. I can tell when somebody really loves Jesus and really loves heaven because they care more about getting other people with them there than about what they're missing out on. He goes on. We see it in verses 6 through 7. He gives the example of Jesus sacrificing his life. And then we come to the very famous verses 12 through 18 where we spent several weeks on the call to shine like a star and quit complaining in life. Act with eternity in view. We don't act different from the world if we think like the world and we hope like the world. So our hoping for eternity, thinking of eternity, is going to affect the way we act here. We act with eternity in view. We live in such a way that we know heaven's coming. So we hope, we think, we act, and we aim for eternity. We aim for that which will never fade away ever. Chapter 3, look with me in verse 10. And we kind of, it was hard to narrow this down to just a few verses. So I was trying to just look at the specific places where Paul uses language like aiming at. Verse 10. My goal is to know him. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. That is Paul aiming for heaven. I've set my crosshairs, the target sign, not on anything in this earth. Not the perfect wife, not the perfect husband, not the perfect children, not the greatest job, not this, not that, not the best church, not the greatest small group, believe it or not, not the best children's ministry. My aim is heaven. My goal is him. Verse 14, he says it similarly. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. So this letter is a letter to the saints calling them. What are you aiming at? What are you acting like? What are you thinking about constantly? Where's your hope? Is it in Christ? Is it of heaven? Is it like what we just saying, that soon he's coming back. Soon I will see him. This is the calling of this letter. This is what we see. It's a letter to the saints. It's a letter about eternity in view. And lastly, it's a letter about the surpassing worth and value 
of Jesus Christ. In our text today, as Paul's closing out the letter, we see, My God will supply all your needs according to His riches in glory. In who? In Christ Jesus. In the grace of our Lord Christ Jesus be with your spirit. So what I want to do as we begin to wrap up this letter, we wrap up our time, I pulled out just four sections where Paul talks about the worth and the value and the supremacy of Jesus. And he presents it to the people in Philippi so that they would begin to hope and think and act and aim at heaven. And so one from each chapter, one section from each chapter, Paul talks about the worth and the value of Jesus Christ. Humor me as we read them together. Chapter 2, we're going to start with chapter 2, and you'll see why in a minute. Verses 5 through 11, we've already read some of this, but listen to Paul. Listen as if it's the first time you've heard this, because for them, it was. Adopt the same attitude of Christ Jesus. Verse 5. Who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of, a, of humanity. And when he, had, when he had come as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross. And I imagine that Paul starts to amp up the emotion as he thinks and writes about this. For this reason, God highly exalted him, gave him the name that is above every name, so that at that name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That is said of Jesus and Jesus alone. Never, ever before has that ever been said of anyone and never, ever again will that be said in truth about anybody. He is unique and he is eternally famous he was famous before he came to the earth he gave up didn't exploit his fame in heaven he sacrificed that so that he could come to the earth serve us and then got back to heaven and is now eternally famous not just with the angels like before but now with all of us before it was just the angels going you're worthy you're worthy you're worthy but now it's the angels and all created beings saying Yes, Jesus, you're worthy, you're valuable, you're supreme forever. It's a reminder for us that all throughout history, our our heroes, their image, their, their praise sort of dies down after a few generations. Think about who the most famous, most noble people in all of history are. Even after a few generations, there's some dirt about them that is discovered. Well, did you know that this person did this? Did you know that that happened here? Did you know their family was, a, was in shambles? Did you know? 
but never about Jesus. He is before and he is the end. He is the alpha, he is the omega. He alone is what Paul is saying here in chapter 2. We could go on about that. We did already earlier, but for sake of today, let's see how this is consistent. In verse 3, we, I mean chapter 3, we see another testimony about his worth and his value. Verse 7 and 8. Paul writes, this is Paul right after giving his resume of how, how set up he was to be famous. And then verse 7 he says, But everything that was a gain to me, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things. I consider them as dung. Parents, explain to your kids what that is. So that I may gain Christ. The surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Remember, Paul knew it all. Paul had it all. He gave it all up. Why? Because Jesus was better and is better forever and ever and ever. So that brings us to chapter 4. We see it again in verse 12, 13. We're almost done. He writes, I know both how to make do with a little. I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Huh, well, that'd be good to know in 2018. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through who? Through a pay raise? Through finding the right mate? If my kids would just get their act together? No. I'm able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Christ Jesus is the answer. And then verse 19 he says it again, and my God will supply all your needs according to who? His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. There is no one like him, Paul says. Which leads me back to what I think is the theme of the whole letter in chapter 1. We looked at Paul pointed out in chapter 2. We see him pointed out in chapter 3. We see him close with it in chapter 4. But boy, does he set the letter up by giving his testimony of what's been happening. And then we come to verse 20 and 21. Paul writes, My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Verse 21, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Living for the worth and the value of Jesus Christ it's one thing to say it. It's one thing to even sign a card saying you believe it. 
It's one thing to even sing it with people next to you in the pews. Get caught up in the, the popular momentum of it's church day. We need to go to church. And when you're at church, you're like, yeah, this is really good. I like the music. Where's our drum person? Where's, you, know, you get sidetracked off the stuff, and, and, but you get caught up in the moment. And that's all good and it's wonderful. But the true worth, the true value of Jesus is seen when we don't get our way. When things are taken from us. When our life is interrupted, when things fall, fall apart, when we think we're getting mistreated or, or we're placed in situations that are not ideal. How do you hope? Where's your thinking? What's your aim in those situations? Paul did not plan to be surrounded by Roman prisoners and prison guards in a nasty jail cell. It was not his aim. It was not his focus. His plans were hijacked. His body was beaten, his stuff taken, his friends were nowhere to be seen or heard until he got word from them from Philippi, and he's writing a letter from prison saying, I've lost nothing because Jesus is worth it. He's worth it. I don't have anybody to sing with. I don't have anybody to talk to. I don't have anybody to, to help me through this time. Where's my counselors? Where's the Facebook post that will encourage me to look at this quote? Or where's all the stuff that will help me? Paul's got nothing but he's got Jesus forever. And in this testimony, it is a reminder. He's worth it. He's worth it. What do you say? When things don't go your way. Do you pout? you get mad? you start insulting those around you? you begin to mock others who are different than you? Try to get the advantage? Expose them? Do you raise your fist at God? Accuse Him of whatever? Do you begin to pray? And when you pray, what do you pray for? Do you pray for a release? Do you pray for your stuff back? In this text, I'm humbled when I think, how would I fill in the blank? For me to live is, you know how you know that? What the answer to that blank is? What are you aiming for? What are you thinking about the most? How are you acting in your life? Where's your hope? Is it on eternity with Jesus? Forever? Or is it on stuff or relationships? How we act and react when we lose stuff reveals what we value the most. Paul says to the saints in Philippi, he's enough. He's worth it. He's worth it. And I don't need to remind you, but I'm going to remind you of what his example does. He says in here, by me just saying he's worth it and living it out loud, other people have been encouraged. I have shined, shined, shone, whatever. I have been bright. How about that? In a dark place. It's dark here. Nobody knows Jesus, loves Jesus. But I'm here now, and now they know him. I once entered the jail cell. Nobody sang with me. Now they're singing with me. 
And not only them, but you, Philippians. And not only you, but all those in Macedonia are singing with me. And not only you, but all these people all over the world are singing with me. And he could say, if he was thinking this far in the future, there will be people in Salado singing with me. Why? Because there's only one who's worth it. So as we conclude, here's our takeaways from the letter. Paul delivers a mission report directly to the saints, for the saints, indirectly for the non-saints to listen in. And he says, I've been served well by you. Thank you. You should be encouraged and inspired to hope, to think, to act, and to aim for eternity. Why? Because Christ is worth it all. In a minute, we're going to sing. When we do that, All of you who I addressed earlier as non-saints, those who feel like you're on the outside looking in, I want to remind you how much Jesus loves you. You don't have to be on the outside. He's calling you. Come. This is for you. You can hope. You can think. You can act. Everything can change for your life. You can come talk to one of the elders, or if you don't know us, but you know somebody else here, and you've heard that they like Jesus, ask them, can you show me how to have a relationship with Jesus? Do not leave here today without knowing that. That's why we're here to introduce, to get you to taste and see how good he is. For those who are saints, those who know they're saints, and you're hearing this, let me ask you, would Paul consider you a partner in the gospel? Is there evidence? Can people tell by the way you're acting, thinking, aiming at? How would you fill in the blank? For me to live is what? And to die would be what? If it's anything other than Jesus, anything other than eternity with Jesus, this would be a good time just to just bow your head as the songs are being played and just confess that. He already knows. It's not a game. And just say, Jesus, I want you to be my all in all. And I'm going to believe what the pastor says and what Paul wrote, that you began something in me. Would you continue that work in me so that maybe next year at this time I can say for me to live is Christ. I've seen it. I've done it. I'm doing it. Let's pray. Mm -hmm.